Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Indeed it, amen. And as you do so, would you grab your Bibles, your handhelds? I want to spend some time this morning uh, in the last 16, 17 verses of John chapter 1, and I'm going to begin uh, by reading these verses uh, with us, for us, and um, I pray that we all lean in to what Jesus would have to say to us today. Beginning in verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. I'll pause just simply to indicate or to point out that it's very interesting because the two paragraphs up, verse 29, also starts with the phrase, the next day. Um, John was there. He was uh, on the other side of the Jordan River, a place called Bethany, where he spent time preaching, baptizing. It uh, was um, on the southern end of the Jordan River before it flows into the Dead Sea. Uh, we know where that spot is. And so John had been there. He saw Jesus and baptized him. And then verse 35, the next day, John was there again. Went back to the very same spot with two of his disciples, John's disciples. When he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, very same spot that he had been the day before. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples of John's heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asks, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with Jesus. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Again, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, 80 miles to the north, where he was from, Nazareth area. Finding Philip, he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip, you're starting to see a pattern here, found Nathaniel, his bud, his friend, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, 
Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, 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 I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. What we are witnessing here, this passage, you may not have even kind of quite understood or caught it, but really what is happening here is the birth of the church. The church is founded on this day. As we begin to see people, in this case, two men, following Jesus, spending time with Jesus, listening to Jesus, believing in Jesus, worshiping Jesus, seeing Jesus for who he really is, and then going out and telling other people who Jesus is. We just witnessed the birth of the church struck by the words of uh, a man named Frederick Dale Bruner who wrote a commentary that I've been spending a lot of time in lately as I've been studying the Gospel of John. He said this, the Gospel of John in our present first chapter, we've been spending the last three weeks here, begins with John's majestic prologue explaining Jesus' coming cosmically. Verses 1 through 18, I looked up Cosmic, it means immeasurably extended in time and space, vast. That's a great way to describe John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things came into being by Him. Apart from Him, nothing exists that we see. It's cosmic. It's immeasurably extended in time. It's vast. That's where John begins with his prologue explaining Jesus cosmically. It continues the middle section of John 1 that we studied last week with John the Baptist's inaugurating sermons. As he's there in Bethany preaching, baptizing, he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, and he introduces Jesus historically he is the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And, and he makes a way for Jesus to be introduced to us. And then this chapter, as we've just read, concludes with Jesus' gathering of his first disciples. And so, as Dr. Bruner says, with a description of the birth of the church. The church is born. Look back at verse 35. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. Who were those two disciples? Well, we know who one of them was because he is named in a few verses later, and that man was Andrew, brother to Simon we know as 
Peter. Who was the other? He's not named specifically here. I will tell you I did a good deal of studying on this. You might want to dig into it to yourself. But what I found is that there is pretty general consensus with scholars that the other person was John himself. We see in John's gospel he is reluctant. In fact, he refuses to refer to himself. He will at times say the disciple that Jesus loved. But I believe, as do most scholars and historians, that these two men were John, the apostle, and Andrew. They were followers of John the Baptist. They were disciples of John the Baptist. What does that tell us about them? That tells us they were seeking after God. They believed what John had to say about the bapti- or a, you know, a, a baptism of repentance and that, that there was one coming after him that was greater than him, that it was a special time. They believed that. They were followers of John the Baptist. And yet, what do we see here? As John was there, same place he had been the day before, and he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when John and Andrew heard him say this, What did they do? (laughs) They followed Jesus. They turned and followed him. Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? Rabbi, where are you staying? We're going to pull this apart here in in a minute. There's a lot going on here. Come, he said, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, spent that day with him. It was about Four in the afternoon. What I want to tell you is what was happening in this story in that, on that day was church. It was church. And what we are doing here today is the very same thing in essence as what happened in these verses I just read. We're not going through the motions. We're not putting our time in. We're not checking off some celestial checklist that God is going to say, okay, good, boom, they checked in today. Although I'm not saying it's not good to be here or online. What I'm saying is that the heart and soul of what church is, is finding Jesus. We are here to find Jesus. We are here to find life to celebrate and worship Christ. So let me give you a very modern, very local translation of these three verses, John 1, 35 through 37. You ready? The next day, Sunday, February 11, Pastor Jody was there again, up on the platform, preaching. Here I am. Gathered with him, were hundreds of dedicated Christ followers, as well as others, looking for hope and a touch from God. Amen? Every aspect of the service, every prayer, every song, every scripture, every word in the sermon, the sharing of communion, everything pointed where? To Jesus. Have you caught that? Have you been aware of the fact that in the last 35, 40 minutes, everything we've been doing here, everything, has been pointing us 
to Jesus. The message was unified, clear, passionate, and strong. Look at Jesus. Look for him. He is here. And when those who were sincere about listening heard this, they followed Jesus. They found him and followed him. As Bruner says, the moral of verses 35 to 37 is this. Preacher, return to your meeting place with Christ. Stand there with your most serious friends and wait for him to walk by again. Hey, especially interested people of God, join your Christ-centered preachers and hear and obey together the one pointed to, seen and experienced there. Here's the message, church. Jesus is here. He's here. We're told in Matthew chapter 18, for where two or more Two or three or more gather in his name. And we have certainly done that today. Jesus said, there I am with them. And Jesus, just as he did on that day, turns around and he says to each and every one of us, there's a question for you. What's that question? What do you want? I ask you, what do you want? Tell you what, when you read through the gospel with kind of this eye through the lens of this question over and over and over and over again, as Jesus encounters people, you know what he says to them? What do you want? He's there with a lame man who cannot walk, who's crying out, and yet Jesus will ask him, what do you want? What do you want? Pastor Steve uh, loaned me a book earlier this week. It's called You Are What You Love by James Smith. And the very first chapter, the very first words of the book start this way. What do you want? That's the question. It's the first, last, and most fundamental question of Christian discipleship for all of us. In the Gospel of John, it is the first question Jesus poses to anyone who would follow him. When two would-be disciples are caught up in John the Baptist's enthusiasm, begin to follow Jesus, he wheels around on them and pointedly asks, what? What do you want? It's the question that's buried under almost every other question Jesus asks. Will you come and follow me? It's another version of what do you want? Or as Jesus speaks with Simon Peter in the last chapter of John, he says, do you love me? It's the same question. What do you want? Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew or John or you or me, and he asks, and asks, what do you know? He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. What do you want 
for we are what we want. Hey, church, that's what church is. It's understanding that Jesus is here, that he is with us in the sanctuary over in Baker. Even if you're at home listening online, Jesus is with you right now. That's what church is all about. And the essence of it is wanting to know Jesus, to know where he is. I love the question that they ask. Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, where are you staying? Oh, on the very basic level, they could be saying, oh, you know, can we, you know, can we, where's your address? Or where are you going to be? No, I think it's a lot more than that. Really, if you were to even drop off that word staying, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, where are you? Where are you going? Where are you staying? Because wherever you are, that's where I want to be. That's church. That's church. It's being in the presence of Jesus. Come, he replied, verses thir- verse 39. Come, he replied, and you, you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I know it's subtle, but I want to point something out, that even reading it in this translation, it puts it in the past tense. Come, he replied. So they, they went. It's very interesting. Again, I know I'm kind of digging this up a little, you know, with a, a very fine-tooth comb, but the actual words that are used, Jesus says to them. It's not said. It's interesting. Says. It's present tense. Jesus says to them. Come and you will see, future tense. So they came and saw where he, it's very interesting. Most translations use the word was, but it's not the word was there. Was is the Greek word atain. The, the Greek word aine is used, which means is. <laughs> so they came and saw where he, not was staying, Church, I'm just going to tell you right now, this moves it into right here, right now. Where is he staying? He's right here. This is happening right now, today. Jesus is saying to you, come and see. You see, the very first church service happened, started at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at an anonymous home on a weekday. This was the very first church service. It was the birth of the church, attended by three people, Jesus, Andrew, and John. Now, we don't know exactly what church looked like that evening. We know that Andrew and John spent time with Jesus. And we also know this. We know the result of what happened that night. Andrew, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did the next day, the next day, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, what did Andrew say to Simon after having church with Jesus the night before? What did he say? We have found the Messiah, the Christ. Someone tell me what happened in church that night. Andrew believed. 
Andrew followed Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. And he went out the next day and he began telling people about Jesus. And he brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, you're Simon, son of John. You're going to be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter or what? Rocky. That's what I'm talking about. You thought Rocky started on the steps in Philadelphia. Oh, no. No, people. Rocky started on the first day of the church. Come on, people. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. <laughs> John the preacher told his listeners. Andrew went and told his brother Simon, Rocky. And here, down at the tail end of this passage, verses 43 to 51, what happens? The next day... Jesus decided to go to Galilee, finding Philip. He said, follow me, Philip, like Andrew. And Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. He follows Jesus. And after Jesus spoke into his life and, and indicated to him, oh, Philip, Nathaniel, I, I, I know you guys. I, I've been watching. I know who you are. They say, oh, you are the son of God. Here's what's going on here. The last third of John 1 is about people finding Jesus. Or more precisely, it is about Jesus finding people through his people. The three great means Jesus uses in his church's earliest and continuing outreach are described right here. I love this. Jesus uses preacher evangelism to create his church, John the Baptist. Jesus uses family evangelism to build his church, Andrew to Simon. And Jesus uses friendship evangelism to extend his church, Philip to Nathaniel. I love that. But it's all church. And the whole goal here, really, is Jesus finding people through his people. Church, that's church. Jesus finding people through his people. I tell you so that you will tell others who will tell others who will tell others. And here we are. It's what discipleship is all about. In fact, I'm going to tell you our number one goal on earth is to make disciples. It's church. But don't take it just from me. I want you to hear it in the words of the guy who caught the winning touchdown last week. A guy named Zach Ertz. He sat down with some reporters before the Super Bowl and they asked him some very interesting questions. Listen to what he said. Fall Sunday this year, um, just a story about athletes talking about their faith in Christ. Yeah. How important is it for you to use your platform to glorify God? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Um, our number one goal on this earth is to make disciples. Uh, that's the only job that we are pretty much, we want to do. Um, so faith in football this Sunday is huge. It's a platform that we have to draw people to the word, uh, to Jesus. Uh, it's something that we don't take for granted by any means. Uh, it's obviously responsibility, but we love yep. that. Uh, we want to draw people to Christ. That's it. Um, the football Sunday thing is going to be great for the world, hopefully. Um, and yeah, it's fun. When did Jesus become real to you, especially football Sunday? Yeah, um, 
last, I, I, I mean, I always said, I always knew Jesus. I always knew who he was, uh, but I didn't have the relationship like I do now. Um, it was kind of last year, I was going through some things during the season. I would always be really high if, we, if I had a great game and really low if we lost and I had a bad game. Um, whereas I would see guys in the locker room like Carson, Trey Burton, Jordan Hicks, Jordan Matthews when he was on the team that would always remain even keeled. And I was pretty much envious of them. Uh, so they kind of continued to push me in ways to grow in my faith. Uh, I got baptized this past off season in California before my wedding. Uh, with our pastor that did the wedding. Um, so last March is when I dedic truly dedicated my life. Um, and it was the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, Amen. the faith from the locker room and now at home with Julie. Um, yeah. How are you able to, you both are able to grow together in Christ now? Yeah, I mean, being the head of the household, uh, the foundation of our marriage is built on the word. Um, anytime you're able to build something with that strong foundation, you're not gonna be easily swayed. Um, so that's kind of the thing that we strive for because the distance that we have to work through is extremely difficult. Uh, it could pull you in ways that is extremely tough or it's extremely strenuous on a relationship. Um, so being able to be rooted in the word and hold each other accountable to something much bigger than the two of us allows us to have an incredible marriage. Last one for me, this has been a crazy week all the way around, but how have you been able to be consistent in your faith during this wacky week? Yeah, I mean, I think the seeds were sown a long time ago. Um, I was able to prepare myself for this week because I've been in the Word throughout uh, the past year, um, growing in my faith. Obviously, having teammates to push me each and every day uh, is a huge reason I'm able to be accountable to them, um, and they're able to be accountable to me, too. Uh, we're never going to let each other slip, um, and that's why I love being on this team and being around those guys. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. And to put that whole interview in a word, you ready? Church. It's church. It's following Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. It's being a disciple. It's proclaiming Jesus. It's telling others about Jesus. It's people finding people through people. It's exactly what Zach Ertz was doing. I loved how he talked about accountability, how he talked about baptism, giving his life to Jesus, making, his, making it public, building his marriage on Jesus. It's church. Every aspect of this service today, every prayer, every song, every scripture, every word, every sharing of communion, everything points to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look for him. Church, he's here. He's here. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to receive the elements, the bread and the cup. And I want you to just reach out and take it in faith. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you were raised in a tradition that you felt distanced from communion or felt like you couldn't partake. I'm going to tell you right now, reach out and take the bread. Take the cup as it comes by. Here's the one restriction, if I can use that word. The one thing that Jesus said that don't think that this is in any way earning God's favor. This is a response. It's an act of faith. It's receiving Christ. It's partaking of his bread and of his blood. It doesn't say you have to be perfect to come to this table. 
no way. We come as sinners, finding Jesus and receiving him into our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for this communion, for this table. We thank you that you are here in our midst. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can know you. We thank you for Zach's testimony of finding you and that it's transformed his life, that he builds his life, Lord Jesus, on your word and uses every opportunity he has to share who you are. Lord Jesus, it's church. Thank you for being with us today, right here, right now. Jesus, as Andrew and John just went and hung out with you that afternoon, came to believe in you, couldn't wait to tell others about you. Jesus, that's our heart right now. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.